This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is Cork Today. Highlights of the year. On C103. A very good morning and welcome to our review programme where we look back at some of the interviews we did during 2020. We start this morning with Nuala O'Brien from Glamworth, who now lives in Sydney, Australia. Nuala had first spoken to us in May about her surprise pregnancy, only discovering she was 32 weeks pregnant following a trip to her oncologist where she was fearing the worst. In July, I caught up with Nuala following the birth of baby Shay. I started by asking her how baby was doing. Good, good, good. He's great. Um, he's just so happy and content. Like, no wonder we didn't know it was him for eight months. He's so quiet. <laughs> and the weight? Um, 8.5. Wow, that's a big baby. Yeah, and they were saying to me the day I went in, they were like, oh, you're measuring very small and that they think he might be a bit underweight and stuff. But he wasn't at all. Now, did, did the delivery all go according to plan with no unexpected surprises? Um, yeah, kind of. Like, there was good surprises. So I was told when I found out that I was pregnant that I was 34 weeks and then that I was due last, this day, last week, last Wednesday. But I had an appointment the week before and they said that they thought I was actually already 40 weeks then, that they got the dates wrong because obviously it's hard to tell when you only find out in your third trimester so they said that they thought I was already 40 weeks so they wanted to induce me because his head was already engaged and stuff and then I went in to get induced and I was already in labour and I just didn't know about it um, so that was a good surprise it saved a lot of time and then yeah that was kind of it then we had him and everything was perfect all went smoothly so and was, it was, it a, was it a quick delivery or were you there for many hours? Yeah. No, it was quick as in, um, so it was seven hours altogether. But like the end of it was very quick. Like we were actually watching Netflix, just kind of waiting in the room. And then the midwife came in and goes, right, you're going to have to start pushing now. And he was born within the next 40 minutes. So, Oh, I swear, if you, if, you yeah. have to, if you have to have the perfect pregnancy, can I present a new low brine and the way you do it? It's just, it is. I know, they kept saying it to me. And uh, and remind, I suppose, remind listeners why with a swollen tummy, a pregnancy never entered your head. Um, so I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2016 and had a stem cell transplant in 2017. And that led me to go into ovarian failure and had early menopause. So I was told I'd never have children and that I had to go on hormone replacement therapy. So I just kept getting checkups for cancer, obviously. And my stomach was slightly swollen, nothing major. And I just presumed I had like a tumour or something in my stomach. And then that's when I found out I was eight months pregnant. So, <laughs> so you, yeah, ne- you never so. got very big with the pregnancy then if they no, were... No, not at all. Not at all. Because that's what they were even saying. They were a bit worried he'd be small and like measuring up small because I wasn't, I wasn't that big at all. And you have a very special reason for naming the baby Shay. 
Yeah, so we named him Shay after our my oncologist, Seamus O'Reilly, because obviously he saved me and like I have a really good relationship with him. And so we said we'd name Shay. Shay's middle name is Bua, so it's blessing in Irish. I love that. So Shay Bua. Shay, it's a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous name. Have you told Mr. O'Reilly about the birth? Is, is he aware that Shay's been born? Oh, yeah. He knew He knew that night. I was sending him photos and everything. So he knew the night he was born. And needless to say, uh, your wonderful mother, were you straight on to her? Yeah, we FaceTimed him because um, we'd been on to them like, what was it, maybe 45 minutes beforehand saying, oh, it'll be another few hours, you know, there's no signs of anything and then we rang her again but we FaceTimed and we just showed her she that she was over the moon she was delighted Is this first grandchild? Yeah it's first grandchild on both sides Oh god the excitement Yeah and so he's what, already started. And what are the plans now Nula to come home? So we're going coming home hopefully um, the first week of September so we just have to wait because um, Shay won't be Australian he'll be Irish because we're only on our temporary visas like, I'm only in Australia a year tomorrow, and I'll be here a year. Um, and so he can't get an Australian passport, so we have to wait to get a passport from Ireland before he can fly home. And then flights are... There are flights available, aren't there? There, There is flights available, but they're just, like, they're obviously expensive, and then there's not that many running, and basically, like, you're allowed to fly to whatever country you're from, but you can't come back. Yeah. You know, that kind of way. So, like, we can leave, but we won't be able to come back. And are you desperate to come home? Um, now that I have Shay, I am. I obviously wanted to stay in Australia. Like, I love it here. But now that I have Shay, I just want my family to see him. And, like, my nan has been non-stop praying and on to us the whole time. So, like, I'm really excited for my nanny to meet him. So, and it's just such a shame that, like, they'll never get to see him so small. He'll be nearly three months by the time we're home. Yeah, so that, that newborn baby look me. will be gone, yeah. But, yeah, but that's why, you know, you know we're, we're very blessed in the era that we're living in, in technology. They've, you know, they, they're they seeing him, I, I yeah. imagine, on FaceTime and, and Zoom and Skype, etc. Exactly. That's it, like in loads of photos we're sending every day. My mum says she wakes up every morning to a load of photos. <laughs> We've turned into one of those, like, annoying people on Instagram. I've just photos up every five minutes of them. And what was the whole hospital experience like with COVID-19, Anula? Um, it was kind of, it was okay, but um, we like Dale wasn't allowed to stay in the end. So like I had him at um, half seven in the evening, but my heart rate was very high for a few hours. We had to stay in the delivery suite until about one or two. And then we just presumed Dale could stay, but he wasn't allowed to stay, so he had to go home then. And then no one else was allowed to come in. You weren't allowed food from outside. You were like there was no shops open in the hospital. Um, so and they they normally said that they do classes for like first time mothers, so to teach you how to like bath the baby, how to feed the baby, and all that sort of stuff. Where none of that was running. Mm. So you could see some bit of a difference, but um, it was fine. It didn't really affect us that much. Yeah, it's the same here though. The the dads are literally allowed in for the labour and then they get a half an hour, I think, and, and they're all uh, sent home. And listen, it's all yeah. been done for the right reasons. We're trying to keep everybody safe. Exactly, yeah. And Anula, Australia is doing particularly well with its COVID-19 cases. I mean, they're one of the countries that it's it's been low. I know there's a bit of a spike going on in Melbourne um, at, at, yeah. at the moment, but they seem to be doing well with the pandemic. It's doing really well. Like when I was talking to my family back home, like we haven't had to, we haven't never had the extreme lockdown that ye had. Like when my mom was saying that, like my nanny hadn't seen some of my cousins in like two, three months. Like I couldn't imagine that. Like over here, you know, it was obviously it was some sort of lockdown, but it was nothing that extreme that you couldn't see people and that you weren't allowed to walk certain kilometres past your house. And there was none of that, mm. you know, over here. So we didn't get to experience it as bad as ye did. Um, but now there is a spike in Melbourne, so they're kind of getting strict on you're not allowed to leave state. And they're not letting people from the, the Victoria state into any other state. Yeah, the so, Australians are so, great at locking down the area. Yeah, like it was very brief, like, you know, like they were kind of strict there for maybe three or four weeks. They closed the beaches and they closed all the gyms and the nightclubs and stuff. And then it kind of calmed down. And so that was it, really. You know, like it, they kind of got over it very quick over here. Yeah, like everything's back open now. Yeah, well, hopefully by the time you get back back over here, everything everything has started to reopen as your as your mother's been probably telling you over here. But everyone's just very nervous about the reopening 
in looking to what's happening oh, yeah, in other I'd countries. Say so. Yeah, exactly, because that's what they're kind of worried about here now, especially since Melbourne. They're worried that there's going to be a second wave because um, so everything is open now again. Like, all the nightclubs are open again. Gyms are open again. Sporting events are open, you know. So they're just kind of worried that it will spike again. So they just have to wait and see, really. OK, well, keep away from the nightclubs, will you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there'll be no fear of that anyway. <laughs> OK, Lister wants to know, is Nula still cancer? You are still cancer-free, are you? Yeah, I'm still yeah. in remission since Great uh, stuff. two years since February. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant news. And I don't know who this is, but somebody says, Trish, did you see any pictures of Nula? Uh, she's absolutely glowing, so, so happy. And that comes from your friends, but they haven't put any names on it. So some of your friends are obviously uh, tuned in uh, this morning. So loads of people here I wanting to wish you all the best, uh, Nula. And uh, and I know um, Evelyn, your mum and the rest of the family and Dale's family can't wait to have you back on Irish soil. And September will come in the blink of an eye, just enjoy I this know. and it's a nice quiet time for you as well just to enjoy um, enjoy Shay exactly yeah I know it's lovely so but we're looking forward to going home and meeting everyone that's very understandable listen you so, stay safe yeah. and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us no problem. Thanks a million. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Nula O'Brien joining us from Sydney along with Shea Bua. Isn't that a gorgeous Shea Bua? What a lovely, lovely name. And uh, Dad Dale, we wish them all the very, very best. It's just one of those incredible stories. Now, a letter written in late 1846, which had a profound effect on the outcome of the Great Famine, has now been returned to Skibbereen, which, of course, was the epicentre of the famine. Uh, It's thanks to the family of the late Hollywood actress Rita Haywood. Joining me with all of the details is Terry Carney of the Skibbereen uh, Heritage Centre. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning, Patricia. Terry, you, so I, you're very welcome. Do you know something? There's a movie in this because you've yeah. got the Hollywood actress, you've got a fantastic story and you even have a princess uh, to tell us about. Let's start back, though, with the letter. It was written by Nicholas Cummins, who was a Cork-based Justice of the Peace. Can you outline what the letter entailed? Sure. Um, well, Nicholas Cummins, was, um, he, he cared a lot for the poor. He was a member of the Poor Law the Relief um, Committee in Cork City, and he had been reading about conditions down in Skibbereen. So he came down to witness it with, with his own eyes, as he said himself. And it was quite risky, you know, because disease was widespread at that time. And he came down and he was brought around by Dr. Dan Donovan and Dr. Haddon. And he described what he saw, really, really graphic descriptions of what he saw, you know, bodies being torn apart by rats and a woman burying a child with stones you know, just pummeling stones on top of her 12-year-old child and so on. Um, and he was a clever man because he he used the power of the media. He wrote this as an open letter and he sent it to various newspapers and he addressed it to the Duke of Wellington, so it became very public. Yeah, and it ended up, it, 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 it did end up get, getting published in a lot of papers. It did. It was published first in the, in the Southern Reporter and the Cork Examiner, and then the most important one that it was published in was, was the Times of London on Christmas Eve. So, of course, the timing was important as well. Okay. And it went viral in today's terms. It went all across North America, all across Britain, Canada. And it was quoted very often, you know, when they were um, trying to raise money for the famine. Cummins' letter was repeatedly quoted um, for, uh, in, as fundraising. And just a few weeks after that letter was published in, on Christmas Eve in London, the British Relief Association was set up in London and Cummins' nephew served as secretary on that committee and Cummins announced, you know, in, in a letter to the, um, to the newspapers about the establishment of this com- committee. So you could say it was the catalyst for the establishment of the British Relief Committee and that brought £400,000 worth of aid into Ireland, over £40 million in today's terms and €40 million Euro in today's terms. So it's a really important letter. Yeah, so because he decided to write that letter and then subsequently get it published, as you say, picked up by, by so many, there was a, he, a lot of eyes were saved because of that, of that one letter. Yeah, absolutely. And what it did is it established Skibbereen as the place to come and see how bad things were. So he was the start of many other witnesses. So there was international coverage because of these people coming to Skibbereen and it all started with his letter. So it's a really important. It is the most often quoted letter of the Great Famine, the oh. most important letter. OK, and now there's history to the letter itself. The original letter you 
have. How did that end up in America? It's a great story, yeah. Um, so, first of all, it was held by Cork Public Museum because a man called Vinton Hayworth wrote to the mayor of Cork City in 1963 and he said his grandfather, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare, had brought this to America with him as a, and the family had kept it as a precious possession and he wanted to send it back to Cork because it was pleased grandpa. So when we researched it, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare actually went to America with his mother. He was only 11. It was just after the famine. And the family story is the father was arrested for some crime or he disappeared and they decided to escape to America. Now, how they got the copy of the letter... We don't know. Yeah, but we we hopefully find that out too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's another mystery. So, and then, the, so what's the link to Rita Hayworth, the Hollywood actress? So, Vinton Hayworth is um, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare's grandson. And Vinton Hayworth is a movie star in his own right. He, he acted in over 90 movies. Um, I'm not sure you would remember it, but certainly I do. It's my era. He was in I Dream of Jeannie and lots of other um, TV series as well. He is Rita Hayworth's uncle. And he's also the uncle of Ginger Rogers. Okay, so was, all right. Yeah. So he's famous in his own right. So Absolutely. then, so you managed, you, this is where the princess comes into the story. You managed to track down Rita Haywood's daughter, who happens to be That's a princess. It. But I suppose, first of all, this letter sat in Cork since 1963 and nobody knew if it was an original or not. Okay. So what my first um, mission was to establish that this was an original copy of the letter because it was believed not to be. And I'll save you the details, but after a lot of investigation, I went through Northern Ireland and Britain, and I found a descendant of Nicholas Cummins, also a Nicholas Cummins, who had some of Nicholas Cummins' papers, and I sent him a copy of it, and he, it, it matched. So it's either Nicholas Cummins' own hand or that of his clerk. Wow. So it's a real a copy of the letter. So that was the most important thing. And then I was very excited. I was going to tell the family of... Patrick Aloysius O'Hare, that this was a real copy. Vinton Hayworth, unfortunately, was dead. But I found out that Rita Hayworth's daughter, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan, so she's the half-sister of the Aga Khan, you know. As in the famous Aga Khan of the horse, the horsey Aga Khan. He's also the head of the Ismaili nation. Yeah. Um, So she is his half-sister, and Rita (laughs) Hayworth was her mother. And obviously she's alive. So... I sort of sat down and said, well, sure, how do you get in contact with a princess? So I emailed here and emailed there. And uh, eventually, anyway, it's a long story. This man sent me a message and said, look, um, a miracle has occurred that you've managed to get in touch with me because she's a very private person. And I know of her. I know her and I can introduce you. But if you ring me in Chicago on my cell phone at whatever time, I'll hear you out. And I went, OK, so. So I rang him and told him the whole story. And then he got fierce excited. So he put us in contact and she's really, really excited about the whole thing. Um, And, you know, addressing the letters now, dearest Terry and fondly Yasmin. Oh, how sweet. (laughs) I'm still calling her princess, though. (laughs) How sweet. Do you think she might make it to Skibbereen? She really wants to. Yeah, she said she would love. She had no idea of any of this and um, very excited to see the letter and very excited to make a connection back to Cork. Because we know Patrick Aloysius O'Hare was from Cork, but a lot of the archives in the US are closed at the moment. So hopefully when we get his marriage certificate to his wife, who was from Tipperary, we might be able to narrow down where he was from in Cork. So I promise the princess when things are a little bit more normal in the US that we'll follow that up. And uh, she said she would love to visit. Oh, that, that'd be terrific. So you now have your, uh, I was going to say grubby paws, but they're not <laughs> grubby because I saw the photograph. You're even wearing the lovely white gloves. Because this is a very yeah. old piece, uh, um, a bit back, as we said, from 1846. So you have the letter and it goes on display in the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. Did I read for a year? Is it? Maybe a little bit more. Could you just I'm keep hoping. it? <laughs> we <laughs> well, won't tell anyone. <laughs> In fairness, Cork, um, the Cork City, Cork Public Museum has been more than generous letting us borrow this. And in view of what we found out and the whole background to it, I think they might let us have it for another little while. But um, you say there about, I put it in the case yesterday, it went on display yesterday. 
and they were all laughing at me because my hands were shaking so much when I was taking it out with my white gloves and very carefully putting it in the case. You know, it's been a special case, humidity controlled and temperature controlled and light controlled. But for one brief moment with my gloves on, I was holding the original copy of the letter, which... Something special about that, uh, isn't there? Time travelling at its best. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I have goose pimples now even thinking about it. And Um, what's what's so important that it's on display this year, Skibbereen Heritage Centre, the 20th anniversary. Yes, and we had a whole series of things organised and planned, Patricia, but of course this year all of those are have gone down the swanee, but hopefully next year. So yes, this is our 20th. Actually, last week, um, we opened 20 years ago last week. So we've had a, a long and happy time in Skibreen Heritage Centre. And I'm here touching wood that we'll be there for another 20 years. Yeah. So are, and are you seeing many tourists around, Terry? We are, actually. It's, we, we, when we opened, for, we were open, this is our fourth week open now. And the first week we were going, oh, we won't have anybody. So we had all these other projects planned. We're digitising other things and da-da-da. And next thing, people started coming in. Now, we do have a limited number in the building at a time, but um, we're filling to capacity any kind of non-sunny day. We're filling to capacity and people are really interested. And it's lovely, Patricia, because we get visitors from all over the world, but we're getting a lot of Irish. And, you know, the great old Irish saying, those nearest the church are least holy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Irish people are discovering what's on their doorstep and that's very exciting for us too you know, for for the visitor attractions and so on, because, you know, it, it's, it's, we should all know about these things, and particularly the famine, because we are where we are because of it, you know. And, you know, because of our, our lovely new saying, staycation, and because people have been told, look, don't go overseas, not safe, if you have your holiday this year, but, but have it in Ireland, I, I think this is going to be a huge benefit Two places like your good self uh, at the Skibbereen Heritage Centre and other lovely areas around the country. People are discovering parts of Ireland that they'd never even realised was there, or in some cases, even on your own doorstep. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, you know, you know why West people come to Cork, in all fairness. We yeah. have everything here. It's just stunning, you know. Even if you're from here and you're living here and you go around sometimes, you go, oh my God, am I dreaming? Is this real? Yeah. You know, it's it's... We have everything here. We really do. And I think this is an opportunity for Irish people to learn really what, as you said, what's on their doorstep. So um, hopefully it'll, it'll encourage a few more staycations in the future because we all have, lo- well, I certainly have lovely memories of being a small kid and being taken out to Barley Cove to the swimming pool. Yeah. You know, and every time I go out to Barley Cove, I still get that same excitement of summer holidays and going to the swimming pool. You know, so when you make a bond with a place, when you're brought there as a child for summer holidays, you have a bond with that place forever. You know, yeah. so yeah. hopefully there's a few a future generations making bonds with West Cork and other areas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're open for business uh, if people want to go along and it, it is on display. It sure is, and okay. we'd be delighted to see people. Okay. Listen, look after yourself, uh, Terry. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks so much. And thanks Richard. for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. Terry Carney Thank there of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre with that letter written in the late 1846. Uh, it's an amazing piece. Now, a letter written in late 1846, which had a profound effect on the outcome of the Great Famine, has now been returned to Skibbereen, which, of course, was the epicentre of the famine. Uh, it's thanks to the family of the late Hollywood actress Rita Haywood. Joining me with all of the details is Terry Carney of the Skibbereen uh, Heritage Centre. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning, Patricia. Terry, you, so I, you're very welcome. Do you know something? There's a movie in this because you've yeah. got the Hollywood actress, you've got a fantastic story and you even have a princess uh, to tell us about. Let's start back, though, with the letter. It was written by Nicholas Commons, who was a Cork-based Justice of the Peace. Can you outline what the letter entailed? Sure. Um, well, Nicholas Commons, was, um, he, he cared a lot for the poor. He was a member of the Poor Law the Relief um, Committee in Cork City, and he had been reading about conditions down in Skibbereen. So he came down to witness it with, with his own eyes, as he said himself. And it was quite risky, you know, because disease was widespread at that time. And he came down and he was brought around by Dr. Dan Donovan and Dr. Haddon. And he described what he saw, really, really graphic descriptions of what he saw, you know, bodies being torn apart by rats and a woman burying a child with stones you know, just pummeling stones on top of her 12-year-old child and so on. Um, and he was a clever man because he 
he used the power of the media. He wrote this as an open letter and he sent it to various newspapers and he addressed it to the Duke of Wellington. So it became very public. Yeah, and it ended up, it, 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 it did end up get, getting published in a lot of papers. It did. It was published first in the, in the Southern Reporter and the Cork Examiner. And then the most important one that it was published in was, was the Times of London on Christmas Eve. So, of course, the timing was important as well. Okay. And it went viral in today's terms. It went all across North America, all across Britain, Canada. And it was quoted very often, you know, when they were um, trying to raise money for the famine. Cummins' letter was repeatedly quoted um, for, uh, as fundraising. And just a few weeks after that letter was published in, on Christmas Eve in London, the British Relief Association was set up in London and Cummins's nephew served as secretary on that committee. And Cummins announced, you know, in, in a letter to the, um, to the newspapers about the establishment of this committee. So you could say it was the catalyst for the establishment of the British Relief Committee. And that brought £400,000 worth of aid into Ireland, over £40 million in today's terms, and €40 million Euro in today's terms. So it's a really important letter. Yeah, so because he decided to write that letter and then subsequently get it published, as you say, picked up by, by so many, there was a, he, a lot of lives were saved because of that, of that one letter. Yeah, absolutely. And what it did is it established Gibberine as the place to come and see how bad things were. So he was the start of many other witnesses. So there was international coverage because of these people coming to Skibbereen and it all started with his letter. So it's a really important. It is the most often quoted letter of the Great Famine. The oh. most important letter. Okay, and now there's history to the letter itself. The original letter you have, how did that end up in America? It's a great story, yeah. Um, so, first of all, it was held by Cork Public Museum because a man called Vinton Hayworth wrote to the mayor of Cork City in 1963 and he said his grandfather, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare, had brought this to America with him as a, and the family had kept it as a precious possession and he wanted to send it back to Cork because it was pleased grandpa. So when we researched it, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare actually went to America with his mother. He was only 11. It was just after the famine. And the family story is the father was arrested for some crime or he disappeared and they decided to escape to America. Now, how they got the copy of the letter... We don't know. Yeah, but we we hopefully find that out too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's another mystery. So, and then, the, so what's the link to Rita Hayworth, the Hollywood actress? So, Vinton Hayworth is um, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare's grandson. And Vinton Hayworth is a movie star in his own right. He, he acted in over 90 movies. Um, I'm not sure you would remember it, but certainly I do. It's my era. He was in I Dream of Jeannie and lots of other um, TV series as well. He is Rita Hayworth's uncle. And he's also the uncle of Ginger Rogers. Okay, so was, all right. Yeah. So he's famous in his own right. So Absolutely. then, so you managed, you, this is where the princess comes into the story. You managed to track down Rita Haywood's daughter, who happens to be That's a princess. It. But I suppose, first of all, this letter sat in Cork since 1963 and nobody knew if it was an original or not. Okay. So what my first... Um, mission was to establish that this was an original copy of the letter because it was believed not to be. And I'll save you the details, but after a lot of investigation, I went through Northern Ireland and Britain and I found a descendant of Nicholas Cummins, also a Nicholas Cummins, who had some of Nicholas Cummins' papers and I sent him a copy of it and he, it, it matched. So it's either Nicholas Cummins' own hand or that of his clerk. Wow. So it's a real a copy of the letter. So that was the most important thing. And then I was very excited. I was going to tell the family of Patrick Aloysius O'Hare that this was a real copy. Vinton Hayworth, unfortunately, was dead. But I found out that Rita Hayworth's daughter, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan, so she's the half-sister of the Aga Khan. You know, the as one. in the famous Aga Khan of the horse, the That's horse, it, the Aga Khan. He, yeah. He's also the head of the Ishmaeli nation. Yeah. Um, so she is his half-sister and Rita Hayworth was her mother and obviously she's alive. So I sort of sat down and said, well, sure, how do you get in contact with the princess? So I emailed here and emailed there and 
eventually, anyway, it's a long story, this man sent me a message and said, look, um, a miracle has occurred that you've managed to get in touch with me because she's a very private person and I know of her. I know her and I can introduce you, but if you ring me in Chicago on my cell phone at whatever time, I'll hear you out. And I went, okay, so. So I rang him and told him the whole story and then he got fierce excited. So he put us in contact and she's really, really excited about the whole thing. Um, and, you know, addressing the letters now, dearest Terry and fondly Yasmin. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> I'm still calling her princess though. <laughs> how sweet. Do you think she might make it to Skibbereen? She really wants to. Oh. Yeah, she said she would love, she had no idea of any of this and um, very excited to see the letter and very excited to make a connection back to Cork because we know Patrick Aloysius O'Hare was from Cork. But a lot of the archives in the US are closed at the moment. So hopefully when we get his marriage certificate to his wife, who was from Tipperary, we might be able to narrow down where he was from in Cork. So I promised the princess when things are a little bit more normal in the US that we'll follow that up. And uh, she said she would love to visit. Oh, that, that'd be terrific. So you now have your, uh, I was going to say grubby paws, but they're not <laughs> grubby because I saw the photograph. You're even wearing the lovely white gloves because this is a very yeah. old piece uh, um, dating back as we said from 1846 so you have the letter and it goes on display in the Skibbereen Heritage Centre did I read for a year is it maybe a little bit more could you just I'm keep hoping. it <laughs> we <laughs> well, won't tell know, anyone <laughs> in fairness Cork um, the Cork City Cork Public Museum has been more than generous letting us borrow this and in view of what we found out and the whole background to it, I think they might let us have it for another little while. But um, you say there about, I put it in the case yesterday, it went on display yesterday, and they were all laughing at me because my hands were shaking so much when I was taking it out with my white gloves and very carefully putting it in the case. You know, it's in a special case, humidity controlled and temperature controlled and light controlled. But for one brief moment with my gloves on, I was holding the original copy of the letter, which... Something special about that, oh, isn't there? Time travelling at its best. Yeah. No, it really is. Yeah, I've goose dimples now even thinking about it. Um, and what's what's so important that it's on display this year, Skibbereen Heritage Centre, th- the 20th anniversary. Yes, and we had a whole series of things organised and planned, Patricia, but of course this year all of those are have gone down the swanee, but hopefully next year. So yes, this is our 20th. Actually, last week, um, we opened 20 years ago last week, so we've had a, a long and happy time in Skibreen Heritage Centre. And I'm here touching wood that we'll be there for another 20 years. Yeah, so are, and are you seeing many tourists around, Terry? We are, actually. It's, we, we, when we opened, for, we were open, this is our fourth week open now, and the first week we were going, oh, we won't have anybody. So we had all these other projects planned, we're digitising other things and da-da-da. And next thing, people started coming in. Now, we do have a limited number in the building at a time, but um, we're filling to capacity any kind of non-sunny day. We're filling to capacity and people are really interested. And it's lovely, Patricia, because we get visitors from all over the world, but we're getting a lot of Irish. And, you know, the great old Irish saying, those nearest the church are least holy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, Irish people are discovering what's on their doorstep and that's very exciting for us too you know, for for the visitor attractions and so on, because, you know, it, it's, it's, we should all know about these things, and particularly the famine, because we are where we are because of it, you know. And, you know, because of our, our lovely new saying, staycation, and because people have been told, look, don't go overseas, not safe, if you have your holiday this year, but, but have it in Ireland, I, I think this is going to be a huge benefit Two places like your good self uh, at the Skibbereen Heritage Centre and other lovely areas around the country. People are discovering parts of Ireland that they'd never even realised was there, or in some cases, even on your own doorstep. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, you, know you know why West people come to Cork, in all fairness. We yeah. have everything here. It's just stunning, you know. Even if you're from here and you're living here and you go around sometimes, you go, oh my God, am I dreaming? Is this real? Yeah. You know, it's it's... We have everything here. We really do. And I think this is an opportunity for Irish people to learn really what, as you said, what's on their doorstep. So um, hopefully it'll, it'll encourage a few more staycations in the future because we all have loved, well, I certainly have lovely memories of being a small kid and being taken out to Barley Cove to the swimming pool. 
yeah. you know, and every time I go out to Barley Cove, I still get that same excitement of summer holidays and going to the swimming pool, you know. So when you make a bond with a place, when you're brought there as a child for summer holidays, you have a bond with that place forever, you know. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully there's a few a future generations making bonds with West Cork and other areas. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So you're open for business uh, if people want to go along and it, it is on display. It sure is, and okay. we'd be delighted to see people. Okay. Listen, look after yourself, uh, Terry. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks so much. And thanks Richard. for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Terry Carney Thank there of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre with that letter written in the late. 1846. Uh, it's an amazing piece. During the summer I spoke with Alice Taylor, much loved author, about her latest book which was A Cocoon with View, which was penned during our first lockdown. Well, Alice has been busy this year because she's just published another book. Now this one contains treasures from an Irish childhood and it's called Books from the Attic and delighted to say Alice joins me this morning. Good morning to you Alice. Good morning Patricia. You are very welcome. Your Thank cocooning you. book went straight to the bestseller's charts. Yeah. Now that doesn't surprise me because I thought it was it was a very clever little book. You must have been thrilled with that though. Well it was because you know I I, I just wrote it as it happened because I, I, I kind of a journal anyway and uh, I thought God if cocooning you know if it doesn't there's one thing Patricia this virus it could kill our bodies but we have to mind our minds. That's I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the cocooning book was, was a kind of, um, yeah, a bit of a light-hearted approach, you know, that, that, that we could survive. And how are you feeling as we settle into lockdown number two? <laughs> I, so I suppose, Patricia, we're all a bit less enthusiastic. Could we say that? Yeah. But I suppose we just have to apply ourselves. And you were saying there what the, the head of World Health was saying. So wise, we, each individual, do the best we can and stop giving out about everyone else. Do the best we can. Put on the mask, sanitise, walk. You know, that's all we can do really, isn't it? And we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the country, really. We are. We are. Do you find the mask uncomfortable? No, I don't really. Do you not? I have a great variety of them, Patricia. Because a very industrious woman out in Britain, I, I love people who, who kind of make the best of a situation. She made lovely masks. And my son brought me a bundle of them. And you know what he said? He said, do you know, no, ma'am, you're going to have as many masks as knickers at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and we do. We, we do. Every wash I do, I can't get wash over the number of masks that are coming out. Yeah, you know, wash it every night. I, I wash it. Pour the, you don't even have to wash it. Pour the boiling kettle over it. Yeah. And I hang it out the back, outside the back door on a, little, on a little pig and let it dry out in the fresh air and start the morning after with another one. And I mean, you different pattern ones and bright, happy little ones. And um, so, Patricia, every time you change your, your 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 shirt or your jumper, change your mask. Yeah, and I love the fact some of the ladies are colour coordinating their masks. <laughs> no, I'll never be that organised. I have to say, I'm never that organised. Yeah. But sometimes I'm looking in supermarkets, thinking, God. Her mask actually matches her coat. Yeah. You know, it's great, yeah. great. You have to admire them. Oh, sure. you would. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. But, how, but what are your tips for surviving lockdown? Well, I'll tell you now, Patricia, this, this um, October and going to November, I'm after planting a lot of tulips. Because last year, tulips kept me sane. Tulips and daffodils. When you know when, the, when it broke originally mm-hmm. in March, and uh, I had done it the previous autumn, it, it, almost as if I was forewarned. And I thought, oh, thank God for the garden, you know. And then, so this year I thought, we don't know what way we'd be in March. Hopefully, we'll be all dancing in the streets, but maybe we mightn't. And um, so I, I planted loads of tulips with cock bulbs. They're here in our parish, and uh, they supply bulbs all over. And um, daffodils, um, tulips, I planted them. And I'm doing the window boxes. I do window boxes every winter. I have no out yet. I'm waiting for the primulas to come. Uh, you know, Patricia, we need flowers this winter. More than, More ever. than ever. More than ever. And yes. I know Peter Dowdalaw was our gardener, gives the tip yes. about staggering the planting of the bulbs yes. so that the daffodils will come up. There'll be a bust of them will come up one week and then yes. another bust will come up the next That's week. Right. It's a great, great way to do yes. it. Yeah, 
and we need busts of everything now. We do, we do. So yeah. there's a good tip for, for people heading into midterm. Yeah. Great, great time to get planting. Yeah. Now, your latest book, as I mentioned, is uh, Books from the Attic, and yeah. it is exactly what it says on the tin. It is books that are in your attic. And when I got the book, I was thinking, OK, I don't know what these books in the attic are yeah. going to be about. They're, just, they're school books. The school books. My mother was a hoarder, and she kept all our school books. My husband was a hoarder and kept all his. And we did a lovely, wonderful cousin, Conor Connor from Ireland, Davin Bohabuya, who came to stay with us. He was teaching Bandon. He was a bookman and a hoarder. And they all went off to the library in the sky. And Alice was left with all these old books, including all the old school books. And Patricia, they, they were stored up in the attic. And every so often, do you know when you go through old books up there mountains down the Russian Glen? Do you remember those poems? Yeah, I do. And I want the lonely as a cloud. Yeah. I, you know, you go into them and I say, God, I better do something with these. Because if I don't do something with these, no, it is a terrible thought, but the chances are they could finish up and escape. I know, because they won't have meaning to anybody sure, else. The, the next generation won't have any connection with them. So, um, so it was at the back of my head for years. And, um, uh, you know, you know, your conscience... Shakespeare said conscience makes cowards of us all, which is no bad thing at times. So I thought I'd better get cracky on that. So I've been kind of hatching this book for a long, long time. So finally I got down to it. It was a bigger job than I anticipated, uh, Patricia, because there was such a huge variety of books. The books on the curriculum in the 40s and 50s and indeed into the 60s, they were very well put together books. We had wonderful poets. We had Irish poets. Uh, Pierce and um, Yeats, but then we had Shelley and Wordsworth, and you know we we had wonderful poetry and we had wonderful lessons. We called them our poetry and our lessons, and um, the lessons were were the prose really like, and they were very, um, you know, they were an education for us. They were about t- you know I remember one that tell us about the salmon coming up the river to spawn. Now we the you know we had a, a river in the in the farm and of course the salmon did come up to spawn and then there was loads of lessons about birds and wildlife and about the haws and we learned about the countryside in which we were living from those books so the guys who compiled those books I said they were there very clever they were very clever and I loved the the, and I would have been I was the fourth of there was three sisters ahead of me and I was the fourth one down so I got the hand me down (laughs) the hand me down books um, and and I love the way you spoke about that because we were a generation where books got passed on and, right. and I was in school in the 70s we were still passing on books uh, right. to each other but uh, you got a new book and, and the smell of a new school book Yes and you never got a new school book I was Patricia I was at the end of Five Girls oh. <laughs> so I, and then that time as well you see the books and the curriculum were never changed yeah. because they were the same every year and if you didn't have the book in your house you went across the fields to the neighbour and they put have it. And of course, these old books got written on. And when I found them up in the attic, Patricia, there was the names of people, the neighbours. Yeah. One of them actually was dated 1907. He had gone to school with my father. Could you believe that? And that book was still, my mother had kept that book. But I got a new book in first class because I'd say every, all the Kinkora readers prior to me had fallen asunder, I'd say, from wear and tear. I got a new book and I can, I'll never forget the smell of it, the feel of it. And I thought it was wonderful because books were very scarce that time. We didn't have the County Council Library and we didn't have the shoals of children's books that we have now. Yeah, and you looked after the books because it had had to be passed on. Yeah, and the first lesson in that book was take good care of me. It was a book talking to me. Yeah. And I did take good care of him. I was in awe of my beautiful book. And I remember the poems. I still remember that one of the poems was Michael met a white duck walking in the green. How are you, says Michael? How fine the weather's been. And of course, we had ducks. And of course, <laughs> the biggest duck then became Michael. And there was the ant and the cricket. And that was the ant and the cricket poem, like, was a very um, smart poem. It taught children about, you know, about looking after things. And My Shadow, I remember Robert Louis Stevenson, a lovely poem, My Shadow, which made us very aware of our shadows. 
And in you, you have a photograph contained in in the book of it was your copy of Macbeth with That's your true. name, Alice Taylor Macbeth, in beautiful joined up handwriting. Oh, yeah. And you had got out a pencil and a ruler, and you drew a line yes. to write your name. That's right. I was and I remember that. doing that. I remember doing because <laughs> you wanted it perfect. You wanted That's your name right. perfect. I suppose our books were so precious because we walked into the secondary school in America, the three miles in and three miles out, and with a bag of books on our backs. And uh, our books were so precious to us. But I loved Shakespeare. I loved Macbeth, and I loved As You Like It. I mean, Shakespeare had a quote for every situation in life. And yeah. I still have my my uh, my Macbeth, and I still, I still look at it. Yeah, my mother. I was very grateful to my mother. I mean, that woman had seven children. To, you know, stuff it. She was. She had hens. She had chickens. She had geese. She had ducks. And she, you know, country women that time were fantastic. I always think they were the first of the working wives. And that woman minded all our school books and put them up on the black loft. So that was all right, the black loft. And um, she minded all our school books. It's incredible. I mean, I wonder how many people listening today can say they still have school books. Yeah. That, you you know, because there, there's something really special about it? remembering a book from school and in particular um, a school day poem. That's right. You'll never forget them. And if you say the first line, you know... Somebody um, will come straight yeah, in with the, with, with the next one. Everybody remembers, put off and on my couch, I lie in vacant or in pensive mood. You know, that flesh yeah. upon that inward eye, this is the, the bliss of solitude. The minute you see daffodils on that poem, ruin your mind. And the one, and you you've, you have it included, that I say every time there's a bit of snow, the north wind doth blow and oh, we yes. shall have snow. And, and snow. of course, that's the one about the robin and I'm a big fan of robins. And, and so are you. You like the robin as oh, well. I love the robins. He's such a brave little boy. And as soon as you're out in the garden, as soon as you put a spade in the earth, he's right there with you. You know, and he's not a bit afraid. And picking up these books as well, is it like meeting up with a long lost friend? It is. It is. I mean, I still have my Kinkora reader that that one that I wrote the first chapter about take good care of me. I still have that, and I think most people, a lot of people, might have one or two, maybe. Yeah. But I think in this in this book, books from the attic, that when they go into it, it will bring back memories flooding. And you know, Patricia, when we went to school, you know, it. I mean, our schools weren't comfortable. They were we were frozen, and they were. You know, there was wind whipping on the door, and corporal punishment was in. And maybe they, a lot of people mightn't have great memories of their school days. Yeah. But it's wrong to blame the books. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody's saying, I'd love to get a, uh, get that poem about the ant and the cricket. What is in the book? I the the cricket is right it, in there. It's in the book. It's, it's, in, it's, the in, book. it's in the book. And the book is called uh, Books from, from, the, from the Attic. Yes. Uh, so it is, it, it, it is actually um, uh, in there. Um, and then the covering, the other one that made me smile and brought me back to my school days was how we covered school oh, books yes. with brown paper yeah. or, or wallpaper. Yeah. We, we used wallpaper. Which you say that to a young generation today. I was saying it to my, my niece who's living with, with me at the moment and yeah. she's only 21 and I said, God, we used to cover it. And she said, why would you cover it in wallpaper? <laughs> and I said, but well, you couldn't go out and buy brown paper. You used brown paper that you had. That's right, that's But I said, we, we had wallpaper. She said, well, what about the plastic covering? that?" You? I said, we didn't have plastic oh, covering no. to pull over books. No, no. But, no, no. but, but it was, there were, and, and there was something, now the only thing we didn't do, we didn't sit on the books like he did oh, to flatten did. it out. To flatten them. <laughs> to flatten them because you had to get him into your school bag and or the sacks. You had to get him in, and there was something lovely about their being flattened. And we'd sit in them, and then if if we, you know, children wouldn't be that heavy, but we'd always have rovers at night. And when they sat around the fire, we had Bill, who, who was who was um, went to school with my father, and Bill used to always teach us our lessons. He lived on the hill behind our house, and Bill was a fine, big, heavy man, and he had a fine, big, fat, heavy backside. And we would put him on the Bill's bottom, and Bill would flatten the books. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done, Bill. Um, somebody says, Alice Taylor, Liz says, Alice Taylor, what a tonic and so true. I still love poetry, which got me thinking when you looked at these poetry, the poetry, do you have a new appreciation for some of the poems looking at them through an adult's eyes? Oh, I do. And you know something, um, Patricia, do you know who really stopped me in my tracks when I went, when I went through all the old books in the attic? I came across the complete works of Pierce. Uncle wow. Jackie had them. 
And I had, now we had learned, of course, the wayfarer and the mother. We all learned those in school. But I had never, and I, you know, Misha Eire, Shinemane on Clock Bairre. I remember repeating, doing that in a concert in a market when I was about 15. And I was terrified. And I said it, and I didn't know one more to the meaning of what I was saying. But I learned it off. But Misha Eire, and um, I had never read The Rebel. Have you read The Rebel, Patricia? No, I haven't. It's I haven't. Pierce's longest poem. A lot of people now taught the school books and I read it and I put it in because it explains so much of Irish history. It was a poem that Pierce wrote before 1916. Wow. And it wow. explains 1916. And then I loved Yeats's poem, um, Easter 1916 because you know sometimes history is so revisionist like if I write about something 100 years after sure he can justify take a different angle on anything absolutely Yeats was a contemporary and he wrote um, I always thought the name of the poem was A Terrible Beauty is Born and it isn't it's Easter 1916 is the name of the poem that Yeats wrote and he wrote that poem about Pierce now they were from totally different worlds but at the same time, Yeats uh, was observing what was happening with the eye of a poet. So the two of those poems are in the same chapter because I think they were contemporaries from two different stratas of Absolutely. society Absolutely. and striving to understand each other. So in a way, I did, I learned, Patricia, I learned more doing this book than I did from any other book I've written. That's brilliant. That, yeah. that is yeah. brilliant. Somebody said on the covering of, of the books with the newspaper, with the wallpaper and with brown paper, then contact came into, yeah, it That's was contact right. came into stuff for, for covering books. But I'm sure that was well into the 80s oh before, God, before that, that came in. Patricia, we didn't even have seller tape. No. You know, so that's, that's why, why I had to squash them down. Yeah, you had to put a big lap overlapping them. And then, you see, they had to be well covered and the sacks were leather fine because coming home from school, if anything exciting happened, if we were catching collies or, or going down into the river or any kind of a diversion, looking into birds' nests, should we throw the sacks into dikes and top of ditches and everything <laughs> what we were doing? So the, the books had to be well insulated because they'd be, should they be in Bruce when we got home otherwise? Just listening to Alice and the books, I loved my Leaving Sir Shakespeare book, yes. Hamlet, says Cathy yes. and Mallow. I still have that book 51 years later. Isn't that fantastic? And Anne says, I have my mother who would be 90 this year. Her catechism, uh, we oh, learned from really? the very same catechism when we went to school. That's Ooh. a collector's item That now. is, that is. Yeah, really is. I hope, Patricia, that this will make people, uh, you know, do a bit of poking in the under the bed or in old presses and find their old school books and revisit them and and appreciate them for what they were. You know, the things when we were children, I suppose we, you know, they coloured our minds without we being aware of it. Mm. You know, and they gave us a great appreciation. That generation, you had to have a great appreciation of poetry. And, and it came from those school books. And I think the Shakespeare, you know, the... Macbeth and, and Hamlet. You know, funny, I didn't do Hamlet, but the little secondary school we went to, the leaving certain 50 were in the same room. There was only seven or eight in both classes. And um, uh, so the, the, the leave, when the leaving set were doing Hamlet, we would do Macbeth. But we did, for God's sake, we were in the same room. We did, we did Hamlet as well. Yeah, yeah. Because we listened. Like well, yeah, yeah. People learn. And, and those days, I don't know whether they still today, you used to have to learn it off. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, my know, God. At the time, we didn't see the point. But I'm delighted we learned about Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, Hannah, still, I could still quote Lady Macbeth. You know, you know I love her quote. Um, to eat were best at home. From thence the sauce to meet his company. Company were dull without it. You're better off to eat at home if you're not out with good company. That's true. That's but true. Hannah. That issue, we're all eating at home. We, now. We've no choice. <laughs> Hannah Mallow said, I just found the Huckleberry Finn book earlier in the week when tearing out old boxes yes. in a spare room. Happy memories. Actually, I did Huckleberry Finn from my, what was the Intercept at certain those days. Actually, that's a book I haven't read in years. So I, yeah, I might no, read I that again. Uh, Joan in Formoy says, One of my poems as a party piece, one that Joan learned in school, was The Old Woman of the Road. Oh, 
lived out. Yeah, and Anna in Mitchellstown says, I found the Anne and Barry books from my son last night while clearing out a cabinet in an old, uh, in a bedroom. Yeah. It brought back happy memories of their primary uh, school days. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know. yeah. And I have to ask you, are the books gone back up into the attic? They are. Are they? And, no, well, not totally. I, I have to, I, 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 I'm a rocking chair. I have two attics, uh, Patricia. I mean, I'm a holder. I mean, I, I don't like to admit it. No holder admits to being a holder, <laughs> like. But anyway, I, I, on top of the stairs, I have what I partially call an art room. Now, it is, it, is, it is an ordinary room, but I do a bit of painting. And I have a rocking chair there. And I have a stack of them beside the rocking chair. And I pick them up and I, I, I go through them. And there's something lovely about them. You know, there's something lovely about old books, and um, you know, you're, I think it, when you go back over them now, I think there'll be no appreciation for these. They were little jewels. They were. They, they were. were really. And listen, we're into this six-week lockdown, whether we like it or not. And I'd say to people, maybe who haven't read a book in a while, now is the time to get get, get time. back into that love yeah. of. I think Patricia books will save our sanity. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny the amount of people that are remembering the covering of the the old covering of the books. You're bringing <laughs> back so many memories. Hi, Patricia. Th- um, thank you for having Alice Taylor on the program today. Really brought back very happy memories. I used to cover my children's books in the wallpaper as well. You weren't yeah. on your own. And a Cork City, that's uh, a Cork City listener. Somebody else says, Patricia, I remember covering the school books with brown paper from the meal bags. That's right. We took out the middle part that's of right. the bag. Yeah. I still do that, you know, not covering books, but wrapping parcels because I've, I've an East married to a farmer and he brings me the, 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 the you know, the, the paper bags that calf meal or something coming. And if you take out the outer layer and take out, you know, take away the outer layer, take a, bring in the inner layer and cut them with his scissors, she'll find brown paper. Yeah, you see, nothing was wasted. No. Because we had not, we, yeah, we were very sure, Patricia, we were into the environment. We were a lot smarter than we were ever given credit for. <laughs> and you're, you're bringing back memories to people now. This is from, uh, this is from the Merchant of Venice. And if I'm not mistaken, this is from Portia. The quality of mercy is not strained. Oh. Somebody says, I remember that well from the Merchant of uh, yes. Venice. Yes. Okay. And somebody else says, yeah, that paper inside the, uh, from the meal bags, it was really clean paper. And it still okay. is, you know, it still is. Don't be wasting it. Don't be wasting Listen, it. Listen, Alice, as always, it is a pleasure. The book is called Books from the Attic, Treasures from an Irish Childhood. It's available in all good bookshops. We'll speak again soon. You look at- It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. After yourself and stay safe. Thanks, Patricia. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.